0: Welcome to Palmetto Shores. Uh, this is the South Campus here at Pauly's Island. Uh, glad to join you. Sorry I'm not Ronnie or Morgan. Uh, You're dealing with me, chance left for today. Just a great member, proud member of Palmetto Shores, and one of the leaders here at the South Campus. So we're glad you could join us. Um, it's unfortunate with COVID and everything going on, uh, but we do just want to continue to lift those people up who are affected um, by the virus and just hope that we can get back together so we can be worshiping Uh, person to person but this is what we got and so we just want to be thankful that we have the people in our church that know how to do this and we can bring you the word of God today Um, today we're looking at Psalm 53 and I do want to just read God's word before we begin so we're looking at Psalm 53 and I've titled it today uh, the enemy is us so we'll begin and I'm reading from New American Standard Bible The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge who eat up my people as though they ate bread? and have not called upon God. There they were in great fear, and where no fear had been, for God scattered the bones of them who encamped against you. You put them to shame, because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Amen. I to, like I said, I've titled this The Enemy Is Us, and I have three points today for us. We're first going to look at just the folly of man, then we're going to be looking how judgment is certain, and then we'll wrap up with how King David longed uh, for the kingdom of God, and so should we. But looking at just this first point, dealing with the folly of man, like the verses say, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. What's great about this verse is, verse is super impactful. There's so much here, not just on this verse, but in this whole psalm. This psalm is almost a repeat psalm of Psalm 14. I I love the verse in Hebrews because it really depicts the opposite. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Us as mankind, without God, we're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's so unfortunate, but if we get our relationship right with Christ... He can transform us. So we're very thankful for that. We're going to see that wrap up near the end. This psalm is super vital. It's not only vital because it's a lament psalm that was sung in mourning and that we also have this repeated like it was in Psalm 14. But this gives us a great doctrinal truth. We get a great uh, doctrinal truth from this psalm focusing on the inherent sin of man. Like most cultures, most philosophies, even most religions, they would say that man is inherently good. But we, as in the Christian faith, we have the doctrine that man is inherently evil. And we're going to see this. We see this, that no one is good, like God says. No one is good. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we can even remotely become good. Looking at uh, this as one of the few religions, Christianity, that would, that would ex- actually ask that Muslims... Hindus, human secularists, Marxists, uh, even the postmodernists and new age, new spiritualists today, would say that man is inherently good. Like the psalm and many other of the scriptures we'll see from the New Testament, describe that, like Paul said in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We get that from Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, chapter 3, verse 23. Looking at this first verse, we get Three ideas, three points just from this the folly of man. It says, The fool in his heart says there is no God. That first idea, fool in Hebrew, is Nepal, or if you want to pronounce it in Hebrew, it's Nahal. And it doesn't mean that they're unintelligent. Nepal actually means those who lack morality or they have been morally deceived. This idea is really shown through the story of one of the most brilliant men on the planet. He's no longer with us, but his name was Stephen Hawking. He got multiple degrees from Oxford and Cambridge. He's a well-known physicist and just a well-known intellectual of our time. And in the 1980s, he started to put out some of his proposals. One of his greatest proposals was the no boundary theory, that idea that the cosmos always was and it always is. It never had an actual start point. But another thing that he was working on, another proposal that he uh, put out, was one that was focused on extraterrestrial life. He had a vast belief that there was extraterrestrial life in in the cosmos, in the universe, and that they were so highly intelligent, and that if they were ever to come within our universe, that they would completely destroy us. He believed that so heartily. His faith was so in tune to that belief. Yet since the start of man, we have seen no life in our universe. And so it's just so hypocritical. It's just so a uh, good image of someone's heart that this man would be a denier of Jesus Christ, a denier of God, the creator of the cosmos, but yet believe that there's alien life so highly intelligent that it would destroy us. But yet he would not believe that there's a higher intelligence that could create us. This is this fool that we're talking about today. Another thing. That's very important that we need to understand with this. Just this first verse is that the fool says in heart, there is no God in this particular Psalm and in Psalm 14, the word God, his name is used seven times. And in this particular Psalm, it's Elohim. It's used seven times Elohim. So it's not just talking about the generic idea of God. This is focused solely on someone saying there is no Elohim. There is no Yahweh targeting and focusing on the Christian faith and on the Jewish faith of the Old Testament. It's super important that we make that distinction because this psalm just isn't about the atheist. This is about the pantheist who believes that everything is God. This is also about the polytheistic person or the polytheist who's like the Hindu who just believes there's multiple, millions and millions of gods. And of course, it actually is even talking to us who may be sitting in the pews of churches who don't have a real relationship with God. This verse is super impactful for us today. And so I I glean these three points just on the folly of man. Moving in uh, to point two, we're looking at uh, the next verses. We look at verse four and five in particular. These verses say, Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge. They eat up my people as though they have eaten bread. They have not called upon God. There they were in great fear where no fear had been for God scattered the bones of them who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God has rejected them. Judgment is certain. Uh, Pastor Ronnie did a great job of of discussing that last week. Just this judgment that is going to happen. We are going to be judged and the ultimate judge is God himself. We are not as his people to judge others. It's not our job. But we will be judged. All will be judged at the end times. Richard Dawkins, he's one of those famous new atheists. He's a physicist as well. Um, But he's one of these new founders of this new atheism. New atheism is not only a take on denying the existence of God, but it's also this idea of putting down those people of faith like us Christians. And not just us Christians, put down people of all faiths. Richard Dawkins has such a dark and hardened heart that he's willing to do that. He even encourages it to people who follow him. He encourages his followers to mock and ridicule Christians. One of his books, that one of his New York best time sellers, The God Delusion, in that he says this, I quote, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, racist, inficidal genocidal, capriciously malevolent bully. This is Richard Dawkins' take on the God of the Old Testament. As we can see, and as we've been through the Psalms, we see the complete opposite of what Richard Dawkins has said. He is not an unpleasant character. He is the best. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He is the God of the cosmos, the creator of all things. And he's not just transcendent. We don't just have this transcendent God. We have an eminent God that also cares about us. He knows every hair on our head. It's super important that we understand that. The jealousy. Yes, our God is jealous, but not in the way that Richard Dawkins thinks. He has this jealousy because it's built out of love, not the jealousy that's built out of envy that we it with today. How is he petty? He's created everything. How is he unjust when we see time and time again how he has justice for all? How can we say he's unforgiving when time and time again, not only does he forgive us, he calls us to forgive others. How is he bloodthirsty when he does not want violence? He's not the one causing the wars. It's man who calls war. Ethnic cleanser. He believes in all ethnicities. Because for him, it's not a matter of black and white because he created us that way. That's why what's going on in our world today, what's going on in our culture, it's not an attack on people, it's an attack on God. Because at the end of the day, I had no choice in what color I was born. God gave me this color. Same for the African-American. God gave them that. So for someone to hate an African-American, you're not just hating that person. You're hating God himself because God created him him or her to be African-American. And the same goes for any race. For him to be racist, how is he racist when he created all races? Infidel, he. We just got done with Psalm fifty-one, where David made a huge, huge mistake. King David had an affair with Bathsheba, and he was so regretted that that child that he was going, Bathsheba was going to bring in a child that he longed to see that child again in heaven one day. How is he emphasized? He does not want the children. He believes just like Jesus says. The children will inherit the kingdom of God. Genocidal Capri a malevolent bully. How is he a bully when all he does is shower us with love and grace and wants to change our hearts? I think Richard Dawkins has it all backwards. And this is really a description of the human heart, of us, of someone just like Richard Dawkins. There is hope. Even though God is looking down and he sees no one good, he sees no one righteous, There is times in Scripture where we do see him looking down and seeing that there are people longing to have a relationship with him. We see this in 2 Chronicles where he looks down and says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Yes, there's a great fear that we see in this verse 5. That There's this great fear where no fear had been for those who were going against King David. For God scatters their bones who encamped against them. They put them to shame because God have rejected them. They have this great fear because they have denied God. They have denied Elohim. We see it all too often in the real world. There's a saying, especially in the military, that you you never met an atheist in a foxhole. That's that idea that when we're in war, uh, you know, and your life is on the line, everybody's thinking, "Oh man, I need to make it right with God." Because I don't want the alternative, which is separation from him, eternity in hell. I want a relationship with him. So no matter what, if I leave this earth, I'm heading to heaven. And then again, that can even be related to what's going on today. How many people are in hospital beds trying to strive for a relationship with God because they know that their time could be near. Especially for young people today. I always tell students, you're never promised tomorrow. And you have to get right with god today you can't put it off because you're not promised we find this idea this this really this flip-flop idea of fear for the for those of us who are believers we see this in solomon's words obviously the son of king david and he writes in proverbs 1 7 he tells us the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge i love that verse And it's not talking about this fear that we need to be scared of his wrath. It's the fear that we want to do exactly what he's called us to do, to be obedient to the call of Jesus Christ, to be obedient to what he's given us, the authority of Scripture. And if we finish that verse, of course, we all know, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. My children know that, but they don't necessarily know the rest of that verse. But the rest of that verse says, fools despise wisdom and discipline. And what is that discipline? It's the simple obedience to God and His Word. We have a different type of fear. It's almost like that idea of wanting to impress our parents or wanting to make them proud. It's the same type that we need to have with God. We want to make Him proud. Why do we want to make Him proud? Because He created me. He's given me everything. He's given me my wife. He's given me my children. He's given me breath. He put me in this country. We're coming up on July 4th. We're we're celebrating our country. And it's so important that we do that because we are citizens of the United States, but we don't need to forget that we're first citizens of God's kingdom. And it's so important. Yes, we need to celebrate our nation, but at the same time, let's not forget to celebrate God's kingdom and the work that he's doing through us. It's amazing to be a part of that. Moving on, uh, we go into this last point. Yes, there's the folly of man. Yes, judgment is certain. It's going to happen to all of us. But then there's this longing. There is hope. There is a bright light at the end of the tunnel. King David talks about this in this verse 6, where he longs for the kingdom of God. And we should do the same, whether it be here now, the kingdom represented now, or the kingdom that is to come. We read in verse 6, Oh, that Israel deliverance would come from Zion when God restores the fortune of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. King David yearned for God's kingdom and established here on earth. And so there is a time coming when the wicked presence of unbelievers will end and God's people will be able to rejoice. This place called Zion, it was actual physical place. David knew it very well. He was the one who was able to conquer Jerusalem and there was two major hills. And so whether you that can be debated on what hill you particularly think Zion was but most people associate it with one or the other hills. and Not only that, the people of Israel during that time of King David also associated Zion with just the entire city of Jerusalem. But what we see here and what I love is this verse, how he, King David, says, Oh, the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. He's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. He's not just talking about here and now in his lifetime. I just love that. When God restores the captive people, I love that. And just that concept of salvation of Israel, the salvation of the world, He knows it's not anything that He can do. He knows it's it's having that light, that foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who is to come. It's amazing that we see at the end of verse 4 that those wicked people, those unbelievers, they consume people as though they can eat bread. I find it so peculiar that they use the word bread. Because we know that not only King David, but Jesus Christ just so happened to be born in Bethlehem, which is known as the house of bread. Bethlehem is basically named for house of bread. And that's also Arabic for house of meat. So uh, make sure we don't get those two confused. But anyway, let's keep cruising. But King David, he longed for God's kingdom and so should we. And what I love about this, he's not just talking about the kingdom here on earth. It's talking about the kingdom to come. We, we allude to this in Revelation. We allude to this in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Even in Micah, we have a, a, a allusion of the kingdom that's going to become. That, and they talk about that as the kingdom of Zion. And so it's super important that we, un, we don't need to necessarily become Zionist and try to determine when that thing is going to happen. What we need to be able to do is make sure that we're ready for whenever it does happen. We can't sit on the sidelines. We've got to be participants. This is a reference to this new heaven. Uh, everybody kind of looks at the book of Revelation and thinks that it's a book about the end times. No, it's not. It's about the new kingdom that's coming. And so we need to be mindful of that, just like King David was. And as believers, when you come to that knowledge of saving grace, it's great for us to have that knowledge that the battle has already been won. I use the idea of us being on the sidelines. God doesn't, you know, in a football game or soccer game, whatever game it is, We're not called to be on the sidelines. We're called to be out there playing and participating. And what we need to understand is we don't need to be sitting on the sidelines nervous because we think we're going to mess up or we're going to fail or we're going to lose the game because we're not. The battle has already been won. Victory has already been assured through Jesus Christ. And so as believers, why would we not want to have other people celebrating in that victory? There's a big point in this for all of us to understand we're either on the sidelines as unbelievers or we're active participants being his true hands and feet doing the work of jesus christ and it's different for all of us not all of us are meant to preach not all of us are meant to teach but some of us might just be able to share with our next door neighbor share with our family members or sometimes you need to just meet a physical need before you meet their spiritual need There's so many things that we can do to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Of course, Billy Graham is known for preaching to more people than anybody before. I think he preached to over 215 million people. That's amazing. But look at what his son's doing. Franklin Graham started Samaritan's Purse. And that's not about preaching. That's about going and restoring people's homes and giving them a future because they come in. they have come here in our own backyard, right down on Palmetto Shores in the Sea area. We had Samaritan's Purse come in, and they came and helped people so they can get back on their feet during the floods of the hurricanes. We can do something. we got to be about it. We can't just talk about it. we got to be about it. And yes, God doesn't need us, but he wants us to be a part of this ministry of reaching others for Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's not about life and death. It's about eternity. And there's only two destinations one with Jesus Christ where we get to worship him and glorify him every day and then there's one where we're completely separated from him I don't want us separated I don't want my friends I don't want my family I don't want us at Palmetto Shores to be separated I don't want the church at large to be separated from Jesus Christ but it's on us to be the hands and feet to penetrate the hearts because like He says, no one is good. No one is righteous. We have to point them to the one who is. The one who is only good. The one who is only righteous. That's what I love about Jesus Christ. He he was called a lot of names in his ministry. But you know one name that he was never called? Even by the Pharisees. They never called him a hypocrite. He said and meant what he said. He was perfect. And yet, what I love, he made the ultimate sacrifice for us. We're celebrating July 4th and it's so important. I'm a former soldier and I really love this country and I'm so thankful for those who have gave their life for this country. But I always say there's only two defending forces that ever died for you. One was the American soldier. They died for your freedom and that's so important. But there's someone else who's even more important. And that was Jesus Christ because he didn't just die for your freedom, he died for your soul. Because it's not just about life and death. It's about eternity. And that's what Jesus cares about. And another big thing that we kind of forget about. Soldiers do it and they do it gladly, but they hesitate. I know because I was one. I hesitate. My life flashes in front of me. I think about my time that I wouldn't be there with my wife or my time I wouldn't be there with my kids. And I hesitate. There's this brief moment of me holding back because of my heart. Jesus never held back. He was all in for us. He died because of my sin. He died because of your sin. (laughs) What great, what other person would we want to follow besides Jesus Christ? Muhammad never did that for anybody. Right? The Hindu gods never did that for anybody. It's always about serving them. What do the atheists have? They have nothing but broken and bitter hearts. They hold on to because they are fools because they say there is no God. They want to make gods out of themselves rather than serve the God who created all of us. When we move into and put all this together, I do just want to go back and uh, just represent this this whole psalm as a lament psalm. This is a psalm that was actually sung by the Levitical priest. So you see in the prescript of Psalm 53, just so you know, I want us to go through these because I think it's super important for us to understand before we get into the very first verse, it talks about the choir director, David, but it says some unique words in Hebrew. So it says, for the choir director, Osama David, for the choir director, according to the Mahaleth. That's a concept we're still uncertain of what it exactly meant. But for most theologians, they believe it's a sickness. What Charles Spurgeon calls it, he believes it literally translates as disease. This is a true lament, It's not always about, the Christian life isn't always about, I always say cupcakes and rainbows. It's a tough life. Jesus Christ doesn't tell us that it's going to be this great thing. It's going to be glorious this whole time here on earth. That's just not going to happen. He tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. It is tough. It is a life of persecution, just like it was for Jesus Christ and his followers. But man... What we go through is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Yet again, he also uses this term, a mask of David. That mask is translated sometimes as the word enlightenment. This is something that is practical wisdom for us. So that's why I think it's so important. I always say in scripture, if it's written, it's super important. If it's written multiple times, it must be really important. Like the Great Commission. We all know that it's not just Matthew 28, right? We see the Great Commission in John 20, 21. We see the Great Commission in Acts 1, 8. We even see the Great Commission in the Old Testament with Abraham. What did God call him to do? called him to go, right? So it's super important if it's said multiple times. So this is unique. It's a unique psalm that we have. Out of all these psalms, we have one that we almost have a true duplicate. With Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, he really wanted us to understand this. And I think it's so important because he's dealing with the heart. What I love about this scripture is he's dealing with the heart. Jesus says, and I'll read it for you in Matthew. He hits at the heart of this. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak of what is good? For the mouth speaks out of which is uh, what fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you, Jesus Christ is saying this that every careless word that people speak, they shall have to give an account. They have to give an account for the day of judgment. So it's so important that when we do speak, we need to understand it's not necessarily something that's coming out of our mind, something out of our intellect, like a Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawking. It's not coming from their mind. It's coming from their heart. They have a true heart in heart, just like Pharaoh did in Exodus. And we need to penetrate those people with the message of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. And that's where we need to put all this stuff to use. We need to have application to what we've just talked about today with these verses. When it comes to application, the first thing we need to do, we need to be able to confess our sins. We need to understand this doctrine that we're inherently sinful. I have a brand new baby girl and she's a little bit selfish. She didn't learn that from me, even though I am selfish. But she hasn't learned that from me. She's only three weeks old. My son, Wyatt, I love him to death, but he knows how to play me already. He knows how to trick me into getting him any kind of treat he wants. I didn't teach him that. It's inherent. It's within him. And so I have to, as a, as a good father, be able to raise them in God's truth so they can be able to discern what is wise and what is foolish, what is truth from which is what is lies. We need to be able to confess our sins. We need to examine our actions and our words. Sometimes all we do is examine our behavior. We must examine the words that come out of our mouth. If you're a believer, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what's in our heart. I know that's hard to do. Now that we're believers, we we think we have a leg up on the competition, but we don't. We still are affected by sin. We still commit sins. That's why we have to continue to build our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a non-believer, You need to understand that confessing sin is one of the first steps in the process of the gospel message of becoming saved through Jesus Christ. What it tells us we we need to do to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ is to understand that we can't do this thing on our own. There's no box or list that we can check to get into heaven. It is only through a true relationship with Jesus Christ. It says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. What we must do, if we are non-believers but long to have a relationship with him, we must be willing always like to say, we need to build a bridge and get over ourselves. How we do that is confessing our sins, understanding that we can't do this alone and that we desperately need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to turn our lives over to him. And if you want to do that, Palmetto Shores is here to help you and come alongside you. All you have to do is reach out to us whether it's through our app or whether it's through just calling the church. We have so many people on staff that are willing to sit down with you and share the gospel message with you and be able to walk alongside you because it's not just about coming to faith, but how we become disciples for Jesus Christ. What else should we do? Not only should we confess our sins, we have to pray. Man, I I know I'm guilty of it, of of just dumbing down the power of prayer. We can't do that. I hate when people uh, put prayer in in this box and, oh, it doesn't work. Or or we only go to prayer when something bad's happening or, you know, it's the last minute and we're just going to throw out a quick prayer. That's not what it's about. Prayer is communication between you and God. One of the reasons why we can't hear God is because we don't pray enough. We don't have a real relationship. It's like my children now. Because of COVID, we've been in the house together. And I'm actually very, very thankful for it because it's allowed me to build my relationship not only with my wife, but with my children. And that's how we grow is building that relationship. That same practice is what we need to do with Jesus Christ. And we do that through prayer. It's just constant communication. Whether you're getting in the car to go to the store, have Jesus with you. Pray that he protects you on on your trip. Turn the music off sometimes just to have a conversation with Jesus. You would be surprised at what you might hear back from our nation, because we're so secularist and postmodernist nowadays, we kind of tend to forget that miracles do still happen. I have the pleasure of working in India and the honor of working in India. We see so many people, countless, countless people come into Christ and many of them are coming to Christ because of miracles that are happening in their lives. Whether it's through just a miraculous healing or something that just transcended in their hearts that drove them to jesus christ in a land where they have over 600 million gods that brought them to jesus christ miracles still do occur and they occur here if we would just open our eyes to the truth of it we need to pray for a better obedience for the so we can really understand that upward call of jesus christ Uh, i understand You know, most non-believers, they base Christianity on us believers. And I hate that because we're such hypocrites. I'm such a hypocrite. I fail all the time. I sin all the time. But I serve somebody that never sinned, was never called a hypocrite. He laid down his life for me. And so that's what I want to turn those people to. They don't need to base Christianity off of Chance Ledford. They don't need to base Christianity off of Padmoto Shorts. They need to base Christianity off the character and nature of Jesus Christ and what he has to say in his word. You follow this good book, and I tell you, you will have a better life. A life worth living. And it won't just be about your life here on earth, but it'll be an eternity with Jesus Christ. when you get to glorify him from sun up to sundown. It will be a beautiful thing. So as we close, just understand this Psalm is super important. We get such a doctrinal truth from it that we are truly inherently sinful and that it's on us to make that decision to come to Jesus Christ. And with Jesus Christ, we can do all things. As we close in prayer, just understand, yes, there is a foolishness about us. And it's not just some intellectual foolishness. It's this pride. It's this heart issue that we have that Jesus really wants to cleanse us from. And it's only through his power that we can do that. And that judgment, we need to understand judgment is coming. It's going to happen. And God has the right to do so because he created all things. But there's this great hope, just like King David had, a longing for that new kingdom to come. We need to be the same as King David, not just longing for the kingdom to come, but know that the kingdom is here. The battle is won. The victory has already happened. And because of that, we need to be emboldened. Sometimes we are prideful or maybe scared or fearful, we need to overcome them, And the only way we do that is with Jesus Christ. Just like when you go on mission trips, God does the work. He just asks you to go and get to see the glory that happens. You can do a mission trip just to your next door neighbor. You can do a mission trip by picking up the phone, calling someone and talking and sharing about the love of Jesus Christ and changing their hearts, not just for here, our time here on earth, because it's fleeting. Let our time and eternity. Last us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, Lord. I pray I honored your word. Lord, I, I pray that those who have heard this message today will, will really truly let it sink down into their heart of hearts. Whether they're a believer and just, read it a, just needed a renewal, a restoration, or, or maybe just that encouragement and motivation to be more bold for you, I pray that happens. And for those who are not believers I pray that this stirred in their hearts, that they, they can understand that they can't do this alone and that they are in desperate need of a Savior. And the only real Savior that's out there is you, Jesus Christ. And I pray that they can ask that you come into their hearts and go through the process of becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this song. Thank you for this lament song. It's not always pretty. Just like our lives, it's a roller coaster. It's not always great. Sometimes we're going to have obstacles. Sometimes we're going to have bumps in the road. Lord, I pray for our congregation and those who are watching today that really God can just move in in the midst of their lives and that they can really understand that you're totally real. And you're not just transcendent, but you're eminent. You care about having a personal relationship with them. That you know the number of hairs on their head. You are the molder and sculptor of their lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We can't get enough of you. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty, mighty and matchless name. Amen.